Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello everybody and welcome along to this episode of La Liga Lowdown, also rebroadcast on Sirius XMFC 157. I'm your host, Hugh McTeer, and this is our Match Day 32 recap as things really start to heat up in La Liga. We're going to start off by diving right into the title race as Real Madrid opens up a two-point lead over Barcelona because Barca drew 2-2 at Celta Vigo while Real Madrid were able to defeat Espanyol 1-0 and they were able to defeat them because of a moment of real magic. Because here's Benzema into the area. Oh, what a back heel! And there is the opening goal. Karim Benzema with the delicious assist. And Casemiro thumps it in from close range. And just as I said that Espanyol had got to the break unscathed, one moment of just sheer magic from Karim Benzema ensures that is not the case. Casemiro, his fourth goal of the season. Yes, a back-heel nutmeg assist from Karim Benzema set up Casemiro for the game's only goal. Asked about it afterwards, Casemiro said that he isn't considering it his goal. He's considering it Benzema's goal, insisting that the assist was more important than his finish. In any case, it meant that Real Madrid won 1-0 against Espanyol, a narrow win from the team in first place against the team at the bottom of the table. A bottom-place side that somewhat shockingly decided to change coach the day before the game, sacking Abelardo, who had been their third coach of the season, and moving sporting director Ruffetti into the dugout. To discuss all that pre-match drama and the game itself, let's bring in journalist and Espanyol season ticket holder, Jeff Gillingham. First things first, how much of a shock was it for Espanyol to have sacked Abelardo on Saturday, just a day before the game? Yeah, it was a surprise that Abelardo got sacked. Only because there's obviously seven games left and we knew that we had to face Real Madrid, Barcelona, Valencia, Real Sociedad. But I think more than anything, it's just the way Abelardo was talking after the Betis defeat. Because um, obviously he he was reportedly in contract talks with the club on a Thursday and he was sacked on the Saturday. So it's obviously a bit of a quick turnaround but I think that Betis defeat just it that felt like the end for a lot of fans and I think ultimately that's why he was sacked because he he himself knew that we were gone and he sounded like it whereas at least with Rufete in his first press conference 
yeah, I think he probably knows we're down as well, but at least we're going to fight and we're going to show some of the values that the club holds so dear. So, I mean, the performance against Real Madrid was good. Um, obviously, we lost, but the ch our chances of getting a positive result in that were pretty slim. But you could see a change in the mindset, and I think that alone is justification for letting Abelardo leave. So it's Rufetti in charge. Now, you say the mindset changed. What else changed? Because the lineup looked a lot like the lineup Abelardo might have picked anyway. Yeah, it was a bit of a strange one because I had a glance on Twitter before the match and everyone seemed to be in love with the lineup and thinking that Rufetti had done some major changes. But for me, all I saw was Victor Gomez came in, uh, Bernardo and Cabrera back from suspension. Um, and then there was no Caleri, but RDT was in. But obviously with RDT, that's just luck that Abelardo didn't have because of what well, he's been carrying a bit of a knock. But I don't know. I mean, obviously Rafete brought on quite a few academy players. Polifano, Nico Melamed. Um, I mean, Melendo's been in around the first team for a long time, but um, Pedrotha. So, I mean, that was good to see. But I think... The overall performance, it was just clear that we had more hunger uh, compared to previous games. But having said that, I could have said that after we played Barcelona and Atletico uh, with Abelardo. So it's always a weird one when we've played big teams because we always seem to step up and it's the games that we should win or should perform that we don't. So I guess time will tell, but yeah. There's not really much we can do at the moment. We've just got to try and pick ourselves up and move on to the next game. I'm not going to let you move on to the next game just yet. Sorry, Jeff, But it's that they did play quite well against Real Madrid and it took one very special goal to win it for them. How impressive was that Benzema back heel? Yeah, I've always been a member of the Kareem Benzema fan club. But I mean, the since lockdown, he's just been in a different world. I mean, that goal against Valencia was just different class. And then I felt really bad for Bernardo because he's absolutely helpless. I mean, when someone does a bit of artistry against you like that, there's just nothing you can do. Um, I suppose, if anything, on the goal, I was a bit critical of Didac not being 100% alert, but maybe it's a bit harsh. But yeah, it's just top quality from Benzema. And it's just what we've come to expect from him over the years. Real Madrid are just so industrially efficient right now, just churning out the wins. Do you think this was a match between the teams that will finish first and 20th? Well, I really believe that for Real Madrid, this was the type of win that every team that wants to win the title needs because they weren't at their best, but they were still able to come away with all three points. Whereas for us, it comes down to the motivation the players have because we're obviously 10 points from safety um, with six games to go. So I don't want to say it's insurmountable, but it's definitely it's a tough ask. But regardless of whether we finish 20th or not, I just want the players to give a good account of themselves in the last few weeks and for us to start trying to lay the groundwork for next season. Last question for you, Jeff. It's something I've been thinking about quite a bit. You and I both know that in the UK we've seen that many teams hate the Europa League because of the, the impact it has 
on league form for Premier League teams, but that generally hasn't been the case in Spain. Clubs have generally loved being in the Europa League, but do you think what's happened with Espanyol and their league form will change that? Will clubs start hoping to avoid the Europa League? Yeah, the Europa League is definitely one of those subjects that is very divisive because I still remember when we qualified for Europa League, it's one of the best days I've had as an Espanyol fan. But at the same time, I realised we'd qualified seventh and not fifth. And that our season was going to start really early. I mean, we played our first Europa League game on July 25th. I mean, that's so early to be starting the season. So I think the Europa League is good if you can get straight into the competition, like straight into the group stages, because it ends up just being draining. And I think unless you have a big enough squad to cope with it, which we didn't, uh, it's bound to have a negative impact on your league form. Ultimately, I think it's played a big part in us going, well, most likely going down. Thanks, Jeff. We're going to move on to the Barcelona game now, and we're also going to do so with a fan of the, in speech marks, other team. Barca went away to Celta Vigo and drew 2-2 with a couple of Luis Suarez goals, a Fedor Smolov goal and a late Iago Aspas free kick. From a Celta Vigo point of view, that result makes it seven points out of nine for them. So I'm really interested in their turnaround of form, and we're going to discuss that with Ian Morris of the Celta USA fan account on Twitter. Ian, what's changed with your boys? How do you explain the improvement? Celta did come back from the break poorly. Um, I would argue that they were only poor in their first game back, which was the opener against uh, Villarreal, who it must be said has been one of, if not the best teams in La Liga since, since the league came back. And it looked like they just physically and mentally hadn't come back from the, from the break prepared. You know, the next game after that, they drew at Valladolid uh, 0-0. But we saw a marked improvement in the team that day. Uh, they had plenty of goal opportunities, in my eyes, should have won that game, uh, but just weren't able to find the net. And then, of course, the next game, which was the the memorable 6-0 uh, slaughter of Alaves, I think the team really started to click, really started to interiorize what Oscar Garcia wants of them. We saw players like uh, Rafinha, Iago Aspas, Denis Suarez, all of whom are, are some of the most talented offensive players in La Liga, at least in my estimation, really start to work well together, really start to, to, to gain some of that confidence that had been missing all season. And ever since then, I think that has kind of had a domino effect on the team, right? So uh, you go on the road to Real Sociedad and win. Uh, it wasn't the prettiest of games, but the team showed a lot of, 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 of fortitude. And then, of course, this weekend at Barcelona, we, we, we saw the Celta that we had all ma- imagined uh, when, when the team was put together last summer. Celta tend to do better against the bigger teams. For example, winning this season against Real Sociedad, Valencia, Sevilla. They got a draw at the Bernabeu, then this draw. Why do you think that is? You're absolutely right, and this reminds me of an absolutely bonkers stat that I saw on Twitter the other day from a fantastic uh, Celta account, uh, Afoteta RC Celta. Um, so Celta has won 22 points this season against the top 10 teams in the league in the table, and they have won 12 against the bottom 10. And if that doesn't tell you everything you need to know about Celta right there, I don't know what will. And it's hard to say why. I mean, I think this is a team that 
that knows it's talented and um, kind of sees itself maybe in a higher class in, in the La Liga landscape than they are actually in. Of course, we're, we're 16th on the table. Um, but we have a lot of players that have played on big, big stages. And my only logical explanation is that, that they have a bad habit of relaxing against weaker competition. And, and, and you know, obviously the flip side of that coin is that they get up for, for big games. And, and that's something that we've seen a lot this season. And really ever since they came back up to, to La Liga in 2012, it's been a constant. I like that stat, Ian, and your theory. I buy it. In um, this game, it was a free kick from either side that opened and ended the scoring. What did you think of each of those very different free kicks? Obviously, both of the free kick goals that we saw at Balaidos on, on Saturday were brilliant. Um, two top world-class players in, in, in Lionel Messi and, and Iago Aspas just finding spaces and, and creating goals that not a lot of other players on this planet uh, would be able to make. Um, uh, Celta, I think, in the first goal uh, that, that, that opened the scoring at Balaidos um, was just so focused on, on that potential Messi shot from, from a position that he absolutely loves, uh, where, they, where they just jam too many players in the barrier and then on either side over to Ben Banco in, in, in the goal that they just made the mistake of leaving Luis Suarez wide open. Uh, maybe the players didn't think that Messi would be able to chip it to him, but uh, Messi <laughs> did messy things and found him and and, and Celta uh, paid the price and, and Barcelona took a 1-0 lead. Um, and then the Aspas goal, which, which tied the game in the 88th minute, was just brilliance as well. And the passion from Aspas right at the end, ripping off his shirt in an empty stadium, that kind of passion must be special for a Celta fan. Yeah, Iago Aspas' celebration after that goal uh, defines him like no other image could. Um, being a kid who, who grew up just 15 or 20 minutes away from Vigo and Moania, a kid that came up through Celta's youth academy since he was in elementary school and uh, a guy who has played in... in in Europa League semi-finals with Celta and who has also played in uh, matches that that saved Celta from relegation to Spain's uh, third tier of, of professional football show. Uh, just the passion that he has for Celta and, 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 and his home region. Finally, Ian, what did you think about Barcelona in this one? How do you rate their chances in the title race? So, I... This might be a controversial opinion, but I don't think Barcelona played that badly on Saturday. I think they were a lot more creative with the ball than they have been in a lot of uh, their matches since Kike Setien took over. I think that Ricky Puig uh, was brilliant. I think that he's a piece that, that Setien needs to use more in their midfield uh, with Arthur reportedly heading to Juventus. Uh, it looks like he'll have more chances. But, you know, at the same time, I think I saw a real defensive weakness in the back that, that you know, they just make too many mistakes with the ball uh, in, the, in, the, in the back third of the pitch. I don't know. It's a team that's really hard to get a read on. I think that Madrid is, uh, is having a lot better form recently. And, and obviously with the head-to-head -head advantage, uh, it's going to be tough for Barcelona, especially with their remaining schedule to win the title. Yeah, I don't think that is controversial to say that Barcelona actually played pretty well in this game, especially in the first half. 
The problem though is that they dropped costly points and now face a huge uphill battle, especially with Atletico Madrid up next. Gerard Piquet isn't giving up though, he was active on Twitter this weekend. He first of all tweeted, we were fated to pretend to pretend. Lyrics from the MGMT song, Time to Pretend. Judge for yourself exactly what that means, but most seem to think he was referring to the fact that it probably shouldn't have been a free kick to Celta when Aspas scored that equaliser, but Rafinha went down under what looked to be a clean challenge from Piquet, so maybe it was aimed at Rafinha. Either way, it's just amazing that MGMT have been thrust into the drama of the title race. Piquet also tweeted a more normal message saying, we are Barca and it's not over yet, fighting to the end is part of our DNA. So the title race certainly isn't over, but maybe the relegation battle is kind of over. We've already discussed Espanyol's defeat, they remain rock bottom, but it's not looking good for Real Mallorca or Leganes either. We'll explain exactly why at the start of part two. That's coming up after this short pause. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome back to this episode of La Liga Lowdown. It's a recap of Match Day 32. We've discussed the title race in part one, a title race that is still very much alive, even if Real Madrid now have a two-point lead. But the relegation battle, well, it's only slightly more alive than the Bundesliga relegation battle, and they've finished their season already. There's two reasons for this. Firstly, the teams in the relegation zone cannot buy a win. Secondly, the teams just above the bottom three all earned positive results this weekend. So, Espanyol, as we know, they lost and remain bottom on 24 points. Then Leganes are second bottom on 25 points. They looked 
like they might be earning a point as they were drawing 1-1 away at Osasuna on Saturday as that match enters stoppage time. An absolutely stunning Javier Aviles goal pulled them level in that one. But then, in the sixth minute of stoppage time, Enrique Gallego scored from a corner to give Osasuna a 2-1 lead. 2-1 win and to leave Leganes sunk. Then, in third bottom on 26 points, we've got Real Mallorca. Like Leganes, they have yet to win since football's restart. This time around, they went away to Athletic Club and were quite comfortably beaten. A Raul Garcia penalty got Athletic Club off to a great start just 16 minutes in and they went on to win 3-1. So those are our three teams in the bottom three. Then there's an eight-point gap to safety with Celta Vigo in 17th on 34 points. With seven from their last three matches, Celta fans are breathing pretty easily, I'd say. That's the vibe I got from Ian in part one. Then just above Celta Vigo, we have three teams all on 35 points and nine above the drop zone. That's Ibar, Alaves and Real Valladolid. We'll hear about the latter two in a little bit, but first, let's discuss some Ibar. Ibar played away at Granada this weekend and they won 2-1 with goals from Pablo de Blasis and Kike and a really amazing performance from Fabian Oriana pulling the strings and he might not play for Ibar again actually because his contract expires on June 30th and he hasn't agreed to any short-term extension that's because he's off to join Real Valladolid. Anyway, forgetting Oriana, it's now six wins in a row for Ibar against Granada. I joked last time they beat Granada earlier in the season about needing to find out what the Basque is for can we play you every week and Phil Ball, a regular contributor to this podcast he's helped me out and told me exactly what it would be pretty much like this so I need to learn the following chant for the next time I go to an Ibar versus Granada game Astian Behin Zuri Taldea Jolas to Deza Kegu I'm not sure how good my Basque was there but I do know Ibar love playing Granada and that Ibar are pretty much safe from relegation for another season. Let's move on and discuss some Sevilla versus Real Valladolid now. I mentioned before that Real Valladolid are 9 points clear of the drop zone. That's because they just earned a very commendable 1-1 draw at Sevilla this weekend. They led for most of the game after Kiko Olivas' opener before a late Sevilla penalty from Lucas Ocampos saw it finish all square for Real Valladolid. It's another positive result, another point in the piggy bank. For Sevilla, it's a fourth draw in a row and that's pretty worrying. So let's speak to our Sevilla correspondent Gregor Chappell now. We last spoke Gregor after the Derby win and we were all impressed by Sevilla. What's happened since then? They've been so poor. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I thought after watching that Derby game and after that Derby game, I thought it was like the perfect start for them back from the break. And yeah, they've been a bit, they just seem a bit tired and lackluster over the last few weeks. I think they came out of that Betis game on such a high that they may have taken their foot off the gas slightly. I also believe that when you play for a club like Sevilla and you're so used to having such a huge support behind you every week that when you lose those supporters in the stadium, it definitely has a mental impact on you. It must do. I think the Betis game that like we said, they played so well in. I think that took care of itself as it was the derby. It was so highly hyped up as well, being the first game back in La Liga. But since then, they seem to have just 
lost that spark and motivation and I put it down to I think partly it's not having those fans there you see Betis struggling as well these clubs are so used to having such a good support the players seem to be having problems getting themselves up for games I think Almost every season Sevilla finishes the season poorly they always seem to get tired maybe because they're in Europa League doesn't matter who the coach is or what the squad is like but I really thought this wouldn't happen this year because of the three month break but what does this maybe say about their preparation? Well for me it says that the that the preparation over the break or the training that they had before they came back maybe wasn't the best. It's obviously uncharted territory here, it was like a pre-season within a season they were having. And like I just said, that first game I think took care of itself, they were very much up for that with it being the first game back and all eyes were on that match. But now, I mean it might be a case of, like I said, uncharted territory, they're not used to having to play so many games in so few days. And maybe the, the recovery time and the downtime in between these matches isn't being managed as well as it could be. I mean, all teams are tired at this point, um, with, like playing games every three or four days. But I do feel like they could be doing a better job of it because it's obviously having a big impact on them. Each of these draws that they've had recently has been quite different. High-scoring ones, low-scoring ones. So let's focus on this specific draw. Why did they drop points against Real Valladolid? I mean, usually Sevilla find a breakthrough against teams by weighing them down through the course of the game, tying them out, but they don't have that freshness in their legs these days. I mean, no one does. Players like Fernando and Diego Carlos, who I've praised so much this season, even they've looked a bit leggy at times, and without that energy, they're quite flat and predictable. Everything seems to be kind of relying on a good cross coming in from Navas to Ocampos and him doing something with it. And sometimes it doesn't seem like they have very many other ideas. I mean, against teams who come out and have a goal, Sevilla are in their their element. They're able to break them down, they're able to hurt them. But when a team comes that are well-organised, like Bayard for example, they seem a little bit one-dimensional. For me, I think Lopetegui needs that plan B when he comes up against these teams who can sit in so well if he wants to get that Champions League spot. I mean... The other night there, the only, only the introduction of Soso really seemed to make a positive change. And then with uh, Monir moving into that number nine position, which was a bit, which, which was a little bit more positive. But like, again, I've said this a million times, Luke de Jong, and now I think also in this area, leaving a little bit to be desired for me. And if they do manage to get that European spot for next year, I really think they need to bring in a far more reliable clinical striker if they want to compete in Europe. Thanks, Gregor. So, Sevilla very much struggling to secure Champions League football for next season, but that's not the case with Atletico Madrid. They've returned on fire. It's 13 points out of 15 for Atleti. Most recently, they beat Alaves 2-1. Once again, it was Marcus Llorente who made the difference. He came on to win a free kick from which Saul headed in the opener and then Llorente won a penalty which Diego Costa scored to make it 2-0. I don't think it should have been a penalty that one but it doesn't mean that Llorente wasn't impactful once again. So that's what's been going on at Atletico Madrid and Sevilla who are currently third and fourth respectively. Just behind is Villarreal after their latest win this time defeating Valencia 2-0 in their regional derby. So let's bring in Paco Pollock now, he's a resident Valencia fan but an all-round expert on football in the Valencian community. So Paco, did this match sort of sum up how these two teams have been since the coronavirus break? 
Villarreal playing well and Valencia, well, not. I believe it perfectly encapsulates what both teams are doing right and wrong in the last couple of weeks. It seems the break was godsend for Villarreal, players look sharp, their patience through any game is unlimited and they believe in their plan to every extent and they usually find gold at the end of the day. In Valencia's case, well, 4 points out of 15, their effort is not good enough, simply put. Everyone expected them to be able to fight for a Champions League place and right now they are out of European spots. In fact, if you see the game, Villarreal could have slammed Valencia pretty hard in the first half with even more goals, whereas Valencia completed an amazingly negative second consecutive game without shots on target. How nice was Villarreal's second goal? Talk us through it. It was, in my view, one of the most masterful executions of the whole season and, again, really came out of nowhere. A long ball by Sergio Asenjo, which Santi Cazorla chased, while Valencia's defense were... Well, I don't really know what they were doing. But the brilliance of the goal lies on the whole technical quality displayed here. How Santi Cazorla padded a ball which came so high from the sky, leaving Gerard Moreno to strike a rocket volley, which went straight in. It's just amazing how difficult scoring such a goal is and how effortless these two players made it seem. I don't know if this is a simple question or a very complicated one, but what's going wrong for Valencia? You know, one of the real treats of reporting at La Liga Lodan is the chance of looking back on the season and finding the origin of many current problems. We have already spoken quite a lot about how sacking the manager after match day three was one of the most awful calls by Peter Lim and Valencia's management. Fortunately for them, the squad, Valencia's players, kept many of the positive traits of Marcelino's stint in the club, especially the 4-4-2 playstyle and the defensive and physical work done in the last two seasons. But that couldn't last forever, not with the Lades trying to push forward his own trademark ideas. And that's how a defensive powerhouse became one of the worst defending sides of La Liga, allowing 46 goals in 32 games. It's actually the only team within the top 10 in the table who have negative stats in this sense. With defeats came turmoil and turmoil caused inner conflict amongst the players and the staff. Many players are unhappy with Celades and his method. Maxi Gomez was this close to pick a fight with the manager himself and he got fined by the club. Gonzalo Guedes also kicked around some furniture inside the dressing room a couple of games ago. And the French part of the squad, with Condogbia, Coquelin, Gamedo or Mangala as representatives, wasn't too happy with the way Celades publicly shamed Diakabi after his mistakes against Levante. So again, many things going wrong, but you know, you could see them coming. So should Salades be sacked? Um, yes. Absolutely yes. In fact, I believe the reason for Alberto Lades to be still in charge nowadays is that Peter Lim has a different timing than other club owners in La Liga. He likes to meet the people involved with decision-making face-to-face in Singapore and you can actually fly over there due to the coronavirus outbreak. Yes, you could use a video conference call, but the man is just too stubborn and wants to keep things this way. So yes, Celades' job is on the line and another bad result could absolutely mean the end of his stint on the bench. Looking across the city at Levante now, they took part in a six-goal festival on Sunday. They raced into a four-goal lead against Real Betis, four different goal scorers too, Borja Mayoral, Enes Bardi, Jose Luis Morales and Ruben Rochina. 
Betis pulled a couple back with Sergio Canales and Wanmi in the, the final 20 minutes. But the takeaway from this one was just how much fun Levante have been. Everyone said a couple of years ago that Betis were a must-watch. I'd say it's now Levante. What's your take, Paco? Or Levante may be the most entertaining team to watch in La Liga. Um, I actually discussed this with a few La Liga fans this weekend on Twitter. Whenever Levante are on, they are turned on, and you can quickly see that in any game they play, you know you're in for a treat. And their game against Real Betis was just like that. Clinical, polished, cool counters, handled with extreme efficiency and quality. Levante have improved defensively and that's becoming the biggest difference after the break for them. And I've always said that players such as José Luis Morales, Bardi, Campaña, Rochina or Roger Martí they are very good players, even better than Levante's traditional average quality. So I don't know if they are the most entertaining team to watch in La Liga, but I do know that they are in great shape right now. That brings us towards the end of the podcast. And if you've been counting, then you'll notice that we've only been able to discuss nine fixtures in this episode. That's because match day 32 hasn't actually completely finished. On Monday night, we've got Hitafi versus Real Sofidad to complete the round, but we wanted to get a recap in your ears by Monday morning, so it's just the nine games we've had so far. We can't predict the future, so who knows what will happen in that Hitafi-Real Sofidad game, but I'm expecting a 2-1 Hitafi win because that's the scoreline I predicted in our La Liga Lowdown versus Squawka scoreline predictions game that we've been playing in recent weeks. If you follow La Liga Lowdown or Squawka on Twitter, you'll see all of that. And also, by following us, you'll see all our videos on what football is like in the new normal, and much more. For now, I thank all of this episode's contributors. That's Jeff Gillingham, Ian Morris, Gregor Chappelle, and Paco Pollitt. I've been your host, Jim McTeer, and as always, thank you for listening. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.